Okay. Kathy, if you could just give me one minute, we're still trying to prepare the live stream. Okay, that's, that's fine. And I'm noticing my internet connection is unstable. That always makes things exciting. <laughs> so hang on just a, just a second. Okay, um, welcome again. Uh, my name is Kathy Boswell. I'm a program specialist with InSource up in Northwest Indiana, Lake County, plus three other counties. My co-host is Jill Summerlot. Jill, would you like to introduce yourself? Good morning. I am Jill Summerlot, and I uh, cover Putnam County, Boone County, and Hendricks County. And welcome today. Great. Okay. I'm going to stop sharing my video at this time. Our topic today is communicating with schools, collaborative strategies for positive outcomes. Communication is a very, very important topic because so often there are conflicts between parents and schools and communication can often, often can be the culprit or at least can contribute to that. So we're going to spend time talking uh, about how to be more effective in our communication. So, um, have to do the required legal disclaimer. We, uh, InSource is not a legal services agency. We are not attorneys. We do not give legal advice. We can't represent parents or children at school, though there are a lot of things that we can do to help and to help educate parents. It's important that you know that the law is constantly changing. And if you do in fact need legal advice, you can always consult with a competent attorney like to start out by talking a little bit about what we do at InSource. We are a parent training and information center or a PTI and PTIs are mandated by the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the federal special education law. All states are required to have at least one PTI. Some states have two depending on their population. InSource is the PTI for Indiana. We were established by a group of parents back in 1975 and we were awarded one of the very first grants, one of the first five parent centers to be awarded a grant, this grant back in 1976. Our current funding source are grants through the Indiana Department of Education and the United States Office of Special Education and Rehabilitation Services. Okay, how we help. Well, there's a lot of different things that we can do to, to assist parents. We do have regional offices throughout the state. I mentioned I'm in Northwest Indiana. I cover multiple counties as does Jill and that's how we cover the entire state. But there is a staff member that will that is in located or serves your county. So we do have a staff map on our website that you can look up your staff person or you can contact myself or Jill or contact InSource and they'll be able to direct you to that person. Uh, I spend a great deal of time on the phone, as, as I believe Jill does as well, talking with parents, trying to answer questions, trying to explain 
um, the special education process and, and we're more than happy to do that. We clearly, we do a lot of training such as the one that we are doing today. And um, we do attend school meetings. Um, so we try to assist parents. And though I realize there is a pandemic going on right now, school meetings, case conference committee meetings are still required to take place as needed, whether it's an annual case review or uh, whether the parent or the school feels the need to call one. And so they may be virtual, but they, they can and should still be occurring. Uh, we have a great website, insource.org, and I hope that if you haven't been there, that you will go there to look. We've got lots of resources and publications. We've even recorded some online trainings, and so we've got archived webinars there as well that you can watch at home in the convenience of your own home at, your, at a time that works best for you. So we do try to offer um, a lot of um, support that way. What's really interesting about InSource is that most, if not all of our staff either have a child with a disability or we, we are a family member of uh, someone with a disability. And so we do have that background, we do have that experience and we find that to be very helpful in that parent to parent model of trying to assist families. I, I get there, this isn't book learning, I, I lived it. And I think that that can make us very effective in helping families. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the, into the heart um, of, the, of the training. Parents and schools are going to be working together for at least 13 years and possibly more. As long as your child is in school, you're going to have an ongoing relationship, schools with parents, parents with schools working collaboratively to develop good individualized education programs is really important to having a good outcome for our students. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of good communication between parents and schools and the need to develop a good relationship with the individuals that are in fact tasked with developing IEPs for students. I love this quote. William Murray is a, um, he's the, one of the world's leading negotiation specialists. He's mediated many different types of conflicts ranging, ranging from uh, things like corporate mergers all the way to ceasefire negotiations. And he discusses relationships as a type of capital building. And he says here in the quote, a good relationship is like a savings account that you can draw on in moments of trouble. When you think about it, we would used to talk about having that rainy day fund, um, trying to save money from every paycheck to set aside into savings, just in case something broke and needed to get fixed. You would have a little stash of cash that might be able to to pay for it to kind of get you over that hump without having to take out a, a home improvement loan or a, a second mortgage or, or even worse using the charge cards at their exorbitant um, interest rates. But so having that, that rainy day fund um, there to back you up for when it does rain, when something happens, you know, it, it's a good strategy. And he comp compares relationships as a, a type of a relationship capital when you can work to build a good relationship with schools or schools build it with parents 
you can kind of build that that relationship capital up and he says the you know the more you deposit the bigger the account and the more you save the more you earn and Unfortunately, sometimes you have to make a withdrawal. I mean, it's a very great analogy between, you know, bank savings and developing a healthy relationship with others. So um, positive working relationships, collaboration and negotiation skills work hand in hand. So what are some ways that we can start building healthy relationships with schools? Well, talking to school staff, getting to know them, helping them to get to know you, those are some ways that you can make deposits to build that account. And building the account means building trust with one another. Trust is the kind of the cornerstone of all relationships, isn't it? So when a concern or an issue or a disagreement arises about a student, each person hopefully can know that they can call the other call others and collaborate to address the concern. That's the hope, that's the hope. It's important to enter into this process with a few assumptions. It's likely that the team will disagree from time to time and that's okay. We all have relationships with our spouses or significant others, our children, our parents, whomever, and we all disagree from time to time, but hopefully we don't become mortal enemies. We work through it, right? So it is okay to disagree from time to time, but we must communicate clearly and openly. Clearly and openly. Communication is a, another one of those keystones to having to, to being able to um, communicate clearly and understand one another uh, to come to an agreement. We can't let ourselves get pulled into power struggles. Sometimes there, there may be a parent or there may be a staff member that just kind of don't hit it off. There's a personality conflict, whatever the, the case may be. And sometimes meetings degenerate into power struggles. She wants that, therefore I do not. That's not what this is all about. We're all there. The purpose behind these meetings is to build effective educational programs for our children with disabilities. We don't have to love everybody and they don't all have to love us, but we need to respect each other try to stay away from power struggles. And, and along with that, very important to stay focused on the student's needs. So communication is effective when all involved end up with the same understanding um, of, of the ideas, the information or any opinions that have been expressed. And it's important to understand what others are thinking, but it's not necessar necessary to agree with each idea and opinion. So did you catch that? You don't necessarily have to agree with what they said, but you need to hear it and hear it clearly enough that you have all the facts to know whether you disagree or not. And we don't listen very well sometimes. Um, as a child, did, did you ever play tin can telephone? This maybe dates me a little bit, but when I was a, a young child, we would take two empty tin cans and tie strings on, on each one. And one friend would be on, you know, behind the tree and then I would be somewhere out in the yard or, or whatever. And we would talk on the telephone that way. It was, it was fun, 
But the reality of it is I don't really think it was very effective communication that took place. It was fun, but the contraption definitely did not work very well. Sometimes when parents communicate with schools, it may feel that our communication is about as effective as a tin can telephone. And that can be true for schools as well. So it's important to understand communication is an active process. Communication is a two-way process. Communication consists of both a sender and a receiver or maybe receivers. And it involves the sharing of ideas, information and beliefs, but it involves listening to and understanding the ideas, the information, and the beliefs of others. And here's a kicker. Both parties must take responsibility for the outcomes of each conversation and meeting. So if the school is saying something or the parent is saying something and I'm not really clear on what they're getting at, it's my responsibility to say, help me to understand. Are you saying because rather than going along and ignoring that piece, your communication is not going to be very effective. So what are some of those things that can interfere with communication? And if you want to post some things into the, into the uh, question and answer box, what are some of those things that can interfere with communication, with discussions, some things that interrupt it, that disrupt it in some way and, and make it make the message not be very clear. And anybody have any ideas? You can post anonymously. <laughs> um, again, you can use the Q&A box and, uh, well, if you're not going to share, I will. Uh, background noise, if there's too much noise in the room. Have you ever tried watching TV when the kids are you know, playing and being wild and crazy and you're probably not hearing much, right? Okay, oh, very good. Jargon that people cannot comprehend. Folks, this is probably one of the biggest issues that I run into, and I suspect Jill does as well when we go to, to meetings. Every, every job has their terminology, don't they? And if you work in that job, you have to learn that terminology. But sometimes we make the assumption that other people that don't work in our field understand that terminology. And I will often during a meeting ask the school, even though I may know the answer, to explain what they were just saying because they may be using terms or acronyms and we are bad about acronyms, using acronyms. But again, if everybody does not work in education, everybody may not understand what you're saying. And I think it's disrespectful to talk over people or talk above people, knowing full well that they really may not know what you're saying. And again, hearkening back to we're both responsible for the conversation, encouraging parents or schools to ask, I do not know what that means. Please explain that. A lot of times parents won't do that. And I will find myself in the position of asking for them. If you don't understand, you need to ask. Um, lack of resources, phone, email. Well, yeah, that could certainly be a communication breaker, couldn't it? Um, it's hard to communicate with anyone if you don't have access to, to the most common 
communication tools such as email or telephone. And, and yeah, it, it is a problem if you're left with sending information teachers, especially by snail mail um, or dropping it off at the house in these, this day and age, um, it definitely hampers that communication because you can't get a response quickly and it slows everything down. Another thing that can hamper um, communication is not fully paying attention to what's being said. A lot of times, and I am so, so, so guilty of this, I'll be so excited about what I feel like I need to say that I'm, I'm just almost holding my breath while I'm waiting for the person who's talking to finish talking to stop and to stop and take a breath so that I can then interject what I want to say. The bad part about that is that I probably wasn't listening very carefully to what they had to say. Again, communication barriers. We have to listen. So all of these barriers between um, uh, the sender and the receiver, they, they can hinder communication. So we're going to now look more closely at how we can communicate um, the meaning of a message. Okay, let's see. Oh, and I see another one. And emails can be misinterpreted. The tone and verbiage may be misconstrued as aggressive when we are simply asking to get more clarification. This is so true. Email is such a wonderful tool, usually. <laughs> um, but lacking the face-to-face -face contact, the body language that we're going to be talking about in just a minute, it is easily misinterpreted. And I've had to go back and write and rewrite and rewrite um, emails just to be sure that I, I'm not accidentally conveying a message that I wasn't planning to convey. And sometimes no matter how hard you work at that, it can be misconstrued. And if the, re the receiver interprets it that way, you're going to need to be either sending more emails or trying to talk on the phone. So be careful how you send your messages. And you know sometimes face-to-face -face is best, but the reality of it is right now, that's probably not going to happen. Um, we can do our meetings online. We can see people, we can see body language, we can hear tone, we can hear all of those things. And um, so, yeah, those, those are great points. Those are great points. Okay. Okay. How do we communicate the meaning of a message? There are many ways that we communicate. Most of the time, we, we, we think it's words. words. Words say everything, right? Words say everything, but words don't. Well, they say many things, but they, they don't say everything. So let's, we're going to kind of break, break this down into um, how we communicate. And the first one is verbal. It's estimated that only 7% of all communication between human beings is, are actually the words that we're using. It's actually verbal. It's pretty shocking because most of us would have said, well, I'm talking, so of course the whole thing is 100%. No, it's a little, there's a little bit more to it than that. Visual, now they've broken down nonverbal into two different categories. And so we're going to talk about those, but Visual, what do people 
see when they look at me when I'm talking. Because folks, the truth of the matter is our actions tend to be more truthful than, than our words. If I'm saying all the right things with my mouth, but my body language is saying something different, my body language is probably going to be what the, the receivers um, interpret and, and understand. And then vocal. So um, communication is much more than just talking. Nonverbal signals or characteristics do in fact convey a lot of meaning. Some examples um, are visual signals such as body, body uh, movement. If, if I'm, someone's talking to me, if I kind of lean forward toward them, that typically is interpreted as a sign that I am listening intently. If I'm tapping a finger or a foot, I might be interpreted as they're angry, they're not really paying attention, they're waiting for me to stop talking so that they can interject something. Again, always subject to interpretation, right? Shrugging shoulders could be interpreted as I'm shrugging off what you're saying. Facial expression, um, are you smiling? Are you frowning? Are you scowling? We know what that means, don't we? As a rule, as a rule, no matter, what they're saying. If I'm being told that, you know, this is a really, really great thing and that person is scowling at me, I'm thinking that's not a really great thing. <laughs> I'm going to believe what I'm seeing with my eyes. Um, eye contact, you know, are they looking at me? We tend to, in our culture, we interpret people looking, looking eye to eye as I'm listening, I'm paying attention, I'm engaged. Of course, we have to be careful with that because there are some cultures for whom making eye contact could be considered disrespectful. So they may in fact be looking down, thinking they're showing respect. So please be careful about going that way. Physical distance between people, the further I am away from you, I'm probably signaling I'm, I'm less interested, I'm less listening, <laughs> less engaged. Gestures such as nodding, if I'm talking to somebody and they're nodding their head, I interpret that as they're hearing me and maybe they're agreeing or they may just simply be signaling, I'm listening, go on, I'm listening, go on. And then vocal signals, the tone of your voice. Uh, and women probably get this more so, but well, I guess I should only speak for myself, but I notice when I speak to young babies, my, the volume or the, the, uh, um, my tone of voice, whatever is that is higher pitched. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, babies tend to re react to that. I don't know what it is, but you know, I would not talk to the special ed director the same way I would talk to my infant great grandniece. <laughs> I, I, I would not, I wouldn't use that, that pitch of voice if you know what I mean. And the volume, we tend to, when we get excited, we tend to get, well, let's be honest, louder, right? And so if somebody's talking excitedly and they're getting louder, I might interpret that as this person's getting upset or they could be very excited, but volume is important. And the pace of speech, if we're nervous, if we're angry, if we're anxious, we may talk very quickly. And so that could be a, a cue uh, a vocal cue to how somebody's feeling despite the words that they're using. 
And it's just really surprising that only 7% of the meaning of, of a message actually comes from the spoken word. That 55% comes uh, from what, what a person sees, sees as our body language and that a lot of meaning, meaning 38% comes from the tone and the pitch of our voice. So what's the lesson to be learned here? It's really important to choose your words carefully. I think we, we all know that. But since body language and those vocal cues tend to be more honest than words, we need to be very, very aware of our body language and our vocal cues because they can in fact contradict the words that are coming out of our mouth. So let's make sure what we, the words we say and our body language and vocal cues are con congruent, they match, they match so that we're not contradicting or confusing people. Okay, and just putting it out there quickly, um, how do you, um, how do you know, or how, what makes you think that somebody is genuinely listening to you at a meeting? Is general, genuinely hearing what we're saying, genuinely involved? What do you, what do you look for and interpret as, yes, this person is really listening to me? Eye contact, head nods, yes, absolutely. Head nods. I'm a head nodder. I nod my head all the time, whether I want to or not. But yeah, it's 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 a great way to to know that people are in fact engaged in listening. And really, it's kind of insulting. Oh, and they restate our concerns. Yes. And and what's really great about restating concerns is that if they misunderstood what you had stated, you've got the perfect opportunity right then and there to correct that, don't you? So much, so much easier to do it right then and there in, in the meeting. It, it's, it's really great. Okay. And we can tell when people really aren't listening because they may turn their head away, they may cross their arms over their chest, not because they're cold, but we tend to interpret that as a defensive measure. I'm, you know, yeah. And rolling eyes, don't get me started. Please don't ever roll your eyes at somebody in a meeting. Please just don't do that. That is very, very insulting. Okay. And so while it's very important to pay attention to the nonverbal messages that we're sending, it's equally important to listen or to be attuned to the nonverbal messages that others are sending us. Uh, Stephen Co Covey, or Covey um, depending on how you pronounce it, he's written a book, and you may have heard of this, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits that he has, and this is up here on the screen, is um, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Well, it's, it's pretty simple in theory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'll listen to you, and then I'll make sure you understand what I'm saying but it's a lot more difficult in practice. Think about the number of times that you've been introduced to a new person and they share their name with you and hi, how are you and so forth. And you walk away and you realize, I don't remember that person's name. <laughs> um, it, it's quite common, it's quite common. It's easy for us to be preoccupied about the impression that we're making on others. And because we're thinking about 
Is my hair sticking up? Did I smile enough? Did I sound halfway intelligent? We're not really listening to what that person said. And, and that being preoccupied, preoccupied kind of overrides our ability to, fo to focus on the other person. And so to achieve positive working relationships between schools and parents, it's important to, to understand this quotation. Again, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Put the listening and the understanding piece of communication in front of the talking piece. I am amazed the number of times that I've had you know, parents saying one thing in schools, saying what I thought was essentially the same thing, and both sides are still fussing at each other. It's like, wait a minute, I, you, you, I think you guys are saying the same thing. And that gave me concern that they really weren't listening to each other, and, and it does happen. So um, when we understand someone else's point of view, we're really in a better place to negotiate effectively. So by listening and understanding, uh, listening and understanding can help us to understand what the other person needs. And of course, it's not always necessary to agree. It can be important to suggest options that meets at least part of that person's needs. And there's a greater chance for successful problem solving when the needs of the student are understood and communicated accurately. Putting aside the fact that you may have a uh, conflict with a staff member or with a parent, putting the, the student first and genuinely listening deeply for understanding so that you are then in a position to respond. Um, and you may find, you may find that the agreements are a little easier to come about that, you know, again, we, we're not always going to agree 100% and there are options to take it further, you know, up the, up the road if we need to for those disputes. But if we have, if we can establish good relationships and good communication from the get go, listen carefully, listen for understanding and put all of that before talking, we may end up with a better outcome. One way that we can do this is by active listening. What Mr. Covey said, you know, seek first to understand. The way you're going to understand is by listening accurately or listening actively. And so, you know, we've kind of talked about how can you tell when someone is really listening to you? What are some of the things that, that they do? And, and some of you have, you know, have identified that, you know, nodding your head, making eye contact, those are all things that we look to to see, is this person really paying attention to me? And so um, we're going to talk here about some strategies for active listening. So, okay, um, asking questions is a way to show that you are actively listening. You, how can you ask meaningful questions if you didn't really listen and hear what someone was saying? Again, making that eye contact, I'm listening to you, I'm focusing on you, I'm not focusing on is my hair sticking out? <laughs> uh, lean forward, we kind of talked about that earlier to, you know, lessen that distance in safer times um, between that person that's kind of engaging. I, I am interested, I am interested. Um, and then encourage, that's sometimes where head nodding comes from. Sometimes people will say, they'll make, move, make sounds like, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
yes, I understand, or whatever, just something, it's encouraging. And you're basically saying, go on, go on. And we all interpret that, interpret it that way. We can also do it, and this was mentioned earlier, by, by paraphrasing, by restating what that person said. So I think I understood you to say, and if I misunderstood when I state it that way, that person can then say, well, no, that wasn't exactly what I meant. We can clarify it right then and there, instead of waiting for something to get written into an IEP and 10 days later, we're talking and going, no, 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 this was not right. Oh my goodness. How much easier to get it right from the get-go, if, if at all possible. Clarify is a way to actively listen. So, and that kind of goes back with paraphrasing, but okay, I, I think I understood you to say that Johnny is going to need more help learning his multiplication tables and that you're willing to, you know, work with him for 10 minutes a day to make that happen. Okay. And if they said, yes, that's exactly what I said, then that's probably going to get written somewhere into that IEP. And focus on feelings. Um, this one, it's, I, I'm a little leery about focusing on feelings because feelings don't, feelings can sometimes lead us astray, okay? Um, sometimes it's really not what I think is right or, or what makes me happy. We have to focus on the best outcome for the child. And then summarizing is kind of going back to, we've paraphrased, we've clarified. I like to try to summarize discussions um, in segments when I go to case conference meetings, just to kind of check, is this what you all understood? And if it is, then it's gonna be written into the IEP or better yet, ask the scribe, the teacher who's taking notes to read back the notes of that discussion because again, we all hear things differently. If they read it back and this is not exactly what was said or somebody, you know, that was not my intent, that can get changed right then and there. So communication is so, so very critical to um, working out a good relationship with parents and for developing appropriate IEPs for students. Okay. Um, Jill, I'm going to go ahead and turn uh, the screen over to Jill. She is going to um, talk with us. I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't find my mute. I couldn't find my unmute button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've oh lost goodness. a few things here too. <laughs> you would think it was Monday. Oh my goodness. I am so sorry. Can, are you able to uh, your screen? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm so okay. sorry. <laughs> wow. I, I, I apologize. It's, it's really been one of those days for me. <laughs> wow. Anyway, we're going to talk about some types of communication today. Um, can you see everything okay, Kathy? Yes, it's perfect. Okay. I, first of all, I'm going to launch a poll. Um, what type of communicator are you? So what type of communicator do you think that you are? Do you think that you're passive or do you think you're aggressive or do you think you're assertive? 
And so let's go ahead and um, if you wouldn't mind, I've launched the poll and let's let's try and, and see where maybe you fall into this category. And then we're gonna then we're going to um, talk about it a little bit. And then let's see where you are at really in that poll. Okay. So we have approximately 43 attendees. So um, I've got 24. So if everybody would, let's give it about another 30 seconds and see where you're at. It looks like we're all, we're running that assertive line. There's 71%. So there's, there's, you know, um, uh, some of us that think we're assertive. Um, so we've got about 30 out of the 43 participants. So let's see where, where do you think you are? What best describes your communication style? And I will tell you that, you know, um, whenever I was um, in school or in, when my son was in school, I probably hit all three of these categories to be very perfectly honest. Great, so we've got 72% we've got that's voted. We have 26% is passive. 6% say they're aggressive and 69% say that they're assertive. So the, the bulk of everybody on the, on the Zoom meeting today, it looks like you're uh, saying that you're um, assertive. So I'm gonna stop the poll now. And so here's the results. Like I said, there was 25% uh, was passive, 6% aggressive, but 69% so 22 people said that they were assertive. So we're going to now, let's talk about this a little bit. Passive communication, um, it's, that really is more of a um, not clearly stating what your wants or your needs are and even your opinions. Um, you might have a passive attitude. It can be characterized by thinking um, maybe others know more than you do. Um, they won't listen, so no one needs to, um, I don't need to speak up. Um, this is feelings of being a little powerless, maybe even having very little value, um, not having a voice, not, not, not um, thinking that really anybody would want to hear what that voice would say. Being passive a lot of times will result in not getting what you want, those desired outcomes. And sometimes you can start to feel very resentful. Being passive also can sometimes be confused with being polite. Um, there is, you know, um, it's possible to be polite, and, but there's also a, be able to be polite and state your opinions. Um, so, you know, when we talk about that passive, you want to, um, you know, you are part of the case conference committee. Um, if passive is, is what, um, your style of communication is, just remember that you are part of that case conference committee, that you do, you know, others, you know, they may have be a teacher, they may have that degree in teaching, they may have that degree in, you know, um, speech and language, but it doesn't mean that you don't know as much as that other person does. You come to the table as a parent with other um, abilities, other um, um, things in your toolbox. Aggressive communication, um, this means um, behaving with anger. 
Um, an aggressive attitude can be, um, you know, by thinking that you know more than others um, or you need to make others listen. Um, or you may even think it's okay to violate others' rights and overpower and make demands. Um, I, I will tell you that, yes, I have been passive. Yes, I have been aggressive. Um, and I'm sure that if you ask any of those teachers or any of those teachers of records, they would tell you that absolutely, Jill was all three of these in a case conference a time or two, but that doesn't make it okay. Um, being aggressive can result in others remembering the attitude more than the message. And I know that um, to be very um, clear and I understand that because a lot of times I will say, you, you heard me, but you weren't listening. So I must have come across to being very aggressive, being very um, demanding at that point. And so um, you really have to kind of take a step back and to be um, uh, really thinking about, you know, that, that attitude and, and not making that, um, uh, those demands, not making that, you know, thinking that you can overpower that person. Assertive communication means clearly stating what, you, what your needs and your wants are and your opinions and on behalf of the student and being able to understand and see that there is that ability to do that. That you usually, whenever you have that assertive communication, you know that you're an equal partner with others. You have a right to express your opinions and your concerns, and you're willing to listen to others. Um, and being assertive results in being heard and respected, very much so. And, and you know, um, there's nothing wrong with um, trying to get your 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 thoughts um, out. There's nothing wrong with trying to get your opinion across. Um, or even your needs or your wants for your child. There's nothing wrong with those, absolutely. It's just how we, how we do communicate with, our, um, with the people that we're trying to communicate with, whether that be your teacher record, that be that case conference committee, you know, whatever it is that um, you're trying to do. So we're gonna try and um, we're going to practice some assertive communication. And um, the, we just kind of want to see how this would go. Um, we have a scenario up here. And so tell me what um, are some of the possibilities using either passive or aggressive communication. And so let's start with this scenario and I'll read it. And if you wouldn't mind um, either um, in the um, um, question and answer box or even in the, um, uh, um, boy, my brain just really needs to take a break, I think. If you just let me know how, what, what your comment would be. So we're you have a child and your child has an orthopedic impairment and they're struggling to get around the school building. Uh, classroom aid is only available occasionally to assist. Peers are often enlisted to assist him, but they're not always available. You've asked for a one-to-one -one aid for him. And the school's response was, we have no money for an aid at this time. So as that parent, how would you respond with this using those extreme possibilities using either passive or aggressive communication? Anybody want to, let's see. Jill, this is Kathy. Did you stop sharing the uh, uh, poll? Because my yeah. 
still up? I, okay, because it was still up on my screen. I just got rid of it. So, okay. Yeah, you have to, whenever it comes up, you have to exit out. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, that's fine. They probably figured it out before I did. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, so whenever you, whenever we talk about this scenario, um, absolutely, you need to restate those concerns. You need to explain the problem and ask them for solutions that they may be able to accommodate. Um, that's not my problem. You need to find a way. And, you know, um, and it tell, it comes up as an, a, the anonymous attendee that wrote this. And I have to, I have to really kind of chuckle because that, you know, and you wrote in parentheses aggressive and can you not hear somebody saying that's not my problem. You need to find a way. I absolutely can there, you know, um, there is, that is, this is one of those scenarios that absolutely you could become very upset very quickly and that you could become very, um, aggressive very fast if somebody said you know that they didn't have uh the uh no money for an aid at that time so we know that for someone who doesn't understand the law or lack of self-confidence it would be easy to be passive and just feeling kind of discouraged you know okay i ask you know um i'm not going to get you know what i need for my child um on the other hand some may think that it would be easy to respond to aggressively and jeopardize their relationship, you know, and, and you know, whenever I, I kind of chuckled about the way they need to find a way. Um, but yeah, you could say extremely harsh, or you could slap your hand on the table and say, you need to find a way. And, you know, you can damage those relationships in, in a blink of an eye. You can absolutely do that because what are they going to remember? They're going to remember what happened. They're not going to remember the um, information, they're always gonna remember the attitude. And oh, here comes that parent that is really hard to work with. The last time they were in here, they slapped their hands down or they really were very demanding. You know, um, so it, there, there are ways that we can respond to the statements and to be able to get our point across still, okay? So another one that we could um, try is, your child has made little progress in his or her reading goals the past two years. She is in grade two levels behind her peers. You've asked for a reading program for her that will address her reading deficits. The school responds that the reading program she is currently using is a good program and that your daughter needs to apply herself more. So how would you respond to something like this? Um, as an assertive response. So not using that, that passive or that aggressive, but how would you respond to this and using that, that um, assertive? Let's see. Can we have a schedule of an aid on the, on the particular days and then peer helpers consistent ones on the other days? That's really good. Um, could we have supplemental materials to assist her? Absolutely. So how can we work together to help ensure her success? Um, Chris and Debbie Wells, that is perfect. How can we work together? And you know, that is, that is a very good way of, of looking at this and being very, um, that's assertive, but it's not being um, demanding. It's not being, you know, passive or, well, I didn't get what I want. 
but it's how can we work together? How can we, through the benefit of all of us working together, how can we help this child? How can we help my daughter in, in getting what she needs? So it's easy, you know, and it's really kind of easy to come up with those assertive responses. Um, but there are also some, you know, it's easier too to come, it's pretty easy to come up with some extreme ones on being um, aggressive or assertive or um, passive. Um, but we just have to remember that no matter what we do, no matter where we fall at on this, then we would want to make sure that we're always keeping our um, communication intact with the school. We're always trying to work together. And, you know, absolutely, there's going to be times when we are very upset and we're very angry and we want to be able to go in and, you know, scream and holler and, um, you know, break, bang our fist and, and everything. But we have to remember that our actions are, are going to be remembered more than what we were there trying to either change or get for our child. So we have to be able to be very calm, very um, informative, and being able to um, kind of see both sides, and but yet be able to get our point across on what we need to get done for that child. So, you know, again, and, and, and so, we just have to be careful on the way we, that we keep ourselves in check um, is how I, how I really say it is. I just need to keep myself in check to be able to say, yes, um, I'm there for the best interest of my child. And, and that would be the end of it. So steps in problem solving. So we can combine our good communication skills with systematic problem solving to um, really advocate effectively. So it's essential to use that good communication skills and to systematically in solving the problems. Uh, problem solving skills and good communication, they will always equal that effective results. So we wanna start out by defining the problem and give good thought to what the problem really is, describe how the student is affected and be ready to state it very clearly. So you want to be able to articulate what that problem is. And um, for a lot of times, whenever I'm talking to parents and um, we're, we're trying to um, understand what the problem is, a lot of times I'll make a list and, and we'll go through that list with the parent and just kind of, okay, just make a real quick list. Tell me, tell me what the problems are. And then we start to break those problems down. And so that's where we start to give really thought to what the problem really is, because sometimes there can be that underlying. That's not really what's at the surface. It might be, you know, um, well, they failed their they failed their um, reading test. I just, you know, um, the, they're always failing their reading test. Well, if they're always failing their reading tests, and let's talk about what that is. Is it because it's, you know, what's what's the underlying problem here? Let's try and get really down to the the brass tacks of that. So what we're going to do then is we're going to gather written data to support that position. We're going to provide evidence um, about the student's progress, their reports, the IEPs, and the notes. So we're going to collect all that, that data information that we need. And so we're going to meet after that. We would rather we can meet face-to-face -face with the people who are 
involved with that? If it's like the reading teacher, is it the teacher of record? Who all do we need to involve in that uh, scheduling of that meeting so we can be face-to-face? -face? We need to all be open and honest and listen to those suggestions. Um, and we need to come prepared with ideas for the solutions and discuss all of the possibilities. That's what that case conference committee is there for. We need to all be able to bring some sort of a suggestion and to um, have those ideas for those solutions. But we have to be able to also be respectful and listen to other possibilities, make, you know, be able to understand what um, some of those solutions are. We need to strive for that positive attitude and think about ways of improvements that can benefit the child or the student. And we always want to make sure that we're considering that success that they have. Um, and, and, you know, so just, you know, we, we have to be able to kind of dr start drilling down. When you see that problem, you have that problem, you, you know what it, what it is, it's that reading problem. Okay, so, so they're having difficulty and passing that re their reading test. So let's collect all the information that we can and, and be able to support that position. They, they, we know that they cannot read this at this level. We know that there's a, there is an issue with um, um, some of the information that is being delivered. So let's schedule those meetings. Let's talk to that teacher record. Let's talk to that reading teacher. What can we do? What can we put into place so that we can make those changes so that we can come together and work together and be positive and, and, and in order to effectively help the student. So let's talk a little bit about I statements. So we use I statements instead of you statements. I statements help the person to take responsibility for the conversation or the communication. They help avoid blame or accusing statements, which make the listener very, you know, very, very defensive. Um, and they, a lot of times will stop listening as um, they're starting to run through the scenario in their, in their mind on being able to uh, defend themselves. I statements are useful when stress is present in a relationship and when the other person is blaming. And this is useful a way to diffuse conflict and also to be able to build those relationships. So an example would be, you told me my student is learning the multiplication tables. So we may wanna say, I think I heard you say that my student is learning the multiplication tables. Is that correct? Or I'm concerned that my student has been able to learn the multiplication tables. What do the test results show? So you see that there is a difference in the way that we can say these things. And we want to make sure that we, you know, we are not placing the blame on somebody else where, you know, um, and I do say it a lot sometimes in case conferences. I think I heard you say and repeat back, um, you know, and, and sometimes if I'm taking notes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write down what I think I heard them say, repeat it back to them. And, you know, that way they, I can get a more clear understanding. And if I'm absolutely, if that's not what I heard them say, then I will be able to clear that up. So tough conversations. Um, you want to state the common, the common goal. Um, you know, there, when we talk about effective problem solving, we want to use those positive ways to address the conflict. Um, so we want to make sure that we state the common goal. And a good way to do this is to begin the conversation is to say something like, 
I know we have the same goal to help Johnny have more success in school. Focusing on the fact that you have the same goal, just different ideas about how to achieve it, this helps everyone to focus on that common goal. So it helps them stay focused on Johnny, having them having his success in school. We also want to use and instead of but. Using but tends to cancel the previous statement out. Using and, this does imply that you're willing to collaborate and the inclusion of everyone's ideas. And an example of that would be, I know we need to help Johnny get his behavior under control, but he's just a boy. Or you could say, I know we need to help Johnny get his behavior under control and consider ways to help him be successful in school. You can hear, you can kind of hear um, the, 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 um, the difference in the way that it's said, you know, um, it, you, you don't hear the blaming, you don't hear the, um, the accusations in it. You want to use the I instead of you. I want to talk about what my daughter is learning instead of you're not helping my daughter. Um, and, and you absolutely, you can hear that, um, you can just hear the negativity that went into that statement. You wanna focus on the positive, the possibilities rather than the negatives and the absolutes. So leave room for negotiations. And this is, you know, I tell, I tell parents all the time, you know, a lot of times we have to negotiate in order to, um, uh, so that we get the positive outcomes that we need for our child. Um, one of the examples is why can't you? And, and so why can't you get that aid for the classroom instead what if we work together or how can we work together those are the differences in the tones that you that you can hear in that we want to make sure that we're using that people first language and my son with autism not my autistic son or my daughter with diabetes not my diabetic daughter and i will tell you that um there is a wonderful book um, her name's Kathy Snow is the one that wrote the book and it's Disability is Natural and she does a beautiful uh, job of um, talking about that people first language and how um, we make it about the child, not about the disability. So what do we want to do in summary? We want to make sure that we are focusing on the students needs. Um, we want to make sure that we have those positive relationships, that um, we keep those intact. We want to make sure that we, we work and strive to keep that positive relationship. We absolutely have to make sure that we have that good communication skills because we know that the more that we have better communication, that will equal those positive outcomes. Be aware of your body language. You know, um, like Kathy said, the rolling of the eyes, please don't do that. Um, that's just not, that's just not good. It's very inappropriate. Sitting with your arms crossed where you just, you're, you know, you're not wanting to listen. You're being, you know, you're telling people that you're shut off. You don't want to hear what they have to say. Um, learn those steps to problem solve. Be willing to, you know, come to the table with some ideas. Be willing to come to the table and be willing to listen. Be a part of that um, that uh, group, that, that case conference committee, so that we can look at those positive outcomes and that um, 
we know that stating that problem, defining that problem, um, and, and finding that information out and bringing that all to the table and staying with that positive attitude is really going to be very successful for our student. Um, those I statements, you know, um, use the I statements instead of you because we know that this is one way that um, we're going to be able to um, get our point across better and it doesn't sound like we're blaming somebody else. Um, we wanna make sure that um, we just have all of that intact because again, we're going back to that focusing on that student's need and having those good relationships and having those good communication skills. And we wanna make sure that with those I statements that we're using um, and instead of but, use I instead of you. And we wanna be positive rather than negative. And absolutely at all costs, try and use that, that um, people first language. This is a very quick, very fast paced um, webinar. And so um, I wanna just, before we get into the, uh, make sure that I've addressed everything. So how can we work together to help ensure her success? You guys really put some very good comments into this um, uh, when I ask for your questions on the um, assertiveness and how to be able to work with the schools. You guys really have some very, very good ideas. Um, and please keep up the real good work um, because you know that this is going to produce some very positive outcomes for your, your uh, child and your student. So if anybody has any questions, please, please feel free to um, put those in the uh, question and answer box. I'll be happy to answer them. Um, while we're waiting, because we do have um, a little while, um, we, like I said, this is a pretty fast paced um, and, and kind of a short webinar, but I wanna remind you that if you're interested in our volunteer program, um, you can, um, it, it, you can absolutely sign up to be a volunteer. This does help with um, our, uh, when you can help Kathy and I, the staff, when we do um, webinars, when we do case conferences, when we do um, workshops or fairs. I know right now with COVID, we're not doing a lot of these things in person, but um, we do do a lot of these things um, virtually now, but this does give you some ongoing training and support. Um, there are some regular newsletters. We have regular webinars. Um, it's um, just a good way to kind of grow those skills. If you'd like for information, please feel free to contact us. If you would like, um, if you have any questions or any comments, please, um, you're more than welcome to call our 800 number at 332-4433, or you can email us at insource.org. Please follow us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Um, you, we have a plethora of information on our insource.org. That's where you can find um, um, a lot of our archived webinars. Um, there is um, absolutely, a, um, we have a whole listing for COVID-19 information, just a lot of stuff that is listed out there. Kathy, I do believe that this does end the portion of the webinar. Would you like to have, do you have anything? 
Yeah, I uh, just remind you all, if you didn't know, December 1st, you'll, Jill and I will be back. We're going to be talking about resolving disagreements between parents and schools, dispute resolution in special education. And so it'll be another webinar, same time, same place. It is in fact on our website, so you can go there today and register. Okay.